When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a truth universally acknowledged. Men and women are biologically different. They have different propensities for certain illnesses. They might experience different symptoms. And their reactions to medicines often vary wildly. And yet, medical testing and trials have traditionally revolved around men. Medical sexism kills. It leads to these very grave, very severe results is that these very serious conditions are, are not being discovered in, when they occur in women and that that can have these huge impacts. The situation is worse still for conditions that only women experience, with a medical establishment often missing symptoms and some common conditions taking on average eight years to diagnose. My gynaecologist sat me down and said, you have all the symptoms of endometriosis. I don't know how you haven't been diagnosed before. And I kind of said, well, <laughs> why are you asking me that question? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is medicine sexist? And is female health suffering as a result? Last year, responding to a parliamentary report into endometriosis, you said this. Earlier this week, the health minister, Nadine Dorries, appeared on BBC Radio 4's Woman's Hour. She was quizzed by Emma Barnett about the NHS and women. You said, I think women actually have a responsibility when they go to the GP's practice not to take no for an answer, not to be fobbed off by a doctor. They do not push back. They do not challenge. They are not confident enough to raise an issue, so they're very easily dismissed. Do you think it's women's fault, Nadine Dorries, if they can't get diagnosed or receive poor health care? No, but you've taken that quote out of a, a wider response, Emma. But no, I don't. But my point was to women... Don't be fobbed off. It happened to me, Emma. I was fobbed off. Don't be fobbed off. I want women to be more confident when they walk in and not to take no for an answer. Should women refuse to take no for an answer when it comes to healthcare? And is the medical world essentially designed for men? There are a lot of different ways of saying it, using men as the default, the male model the othering of women or male bias, but whatever you want to call it, it looks like women are being left out because they're seen as outside the norm and that medical sexism is driving those exclusions. That's Jill Dalston. She teaches philosophy at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And back in 2019, she published a book called Medical Sexism, Contraception Access, Reproductive Medicine and Healthcare. I asked her about how far back she tracked sexism in medicine. One example is Aristotle and Aquinas, this idea of, you know, female embryos being slower to, to develop than male embryos. And so... Really? 
Yeah, so th <laughs> this thinking is that, that the femaleness somehow is related to its slowness or, or delayed capacities. And the capacities of women as viewed as less than men also date back, you know, as far back as you want to go with ancient philosophers and, and researchers arguing that women don't have the same capacities as men for intelligence, for rationality, for strength. So it, it's always been a problem, but it's still a problem. Do you sort of see some of those beliefs, which sort of seem so outlandish now, but do you see them still filtering through to modern-day medicine? I do. I, I see that the idea of the male model still influencing leaving women out of, of research trials. Women are still underrepresented in research trials for most disease categories. For example, a recent meta-study published in The Lancet on trials for treatments for COVID-19 found a quarter of the studies included twice as many men as women, and none measured the variables of sex in the study design. So there's this idea that we can leave women out or that they don't need to be included at the same rates. And I think that the issue goes really deep. I mean, even our lab animals are more likely to be male than female. And is that true? Yeah, I mean... That's remarkable. <laughs> what, why is that? Recently, you know, the U.S. And, and both Europe and the U.K. have issued guidelines that researchers have to at least report the sex of lab animals. But the reason why they had to do that is because male mice were used to the exclusion of, of female mice. I think in 2019, there was a six to one uh, ratio of male mice to female mice in neuroscience, for example. You know, one of the reasons for treating animals this way and treating humans this way is, oh, well, you know, women have these pesky hormones. They go through these menstrual cycles, and we don't want to get into all that messiness. So let's just use men instead, or, or male animals instead. What I think scientists and researchers are saying when they leave women out for those reasons is, hey, we think that menstrual cycles or hormones do impact the research, and yet we're not going to pursue that line of questioning. So it's very odd to say, have this hypothesis that says, we think that there's an impact here, but then not follow it up with research and say, what is the impact? Because instead, the thinking is, well, we'll just use the male model instead. And you don't see the flip side, which is, well, we wanted to know about this medical intervention. So we couldn't include men because how could they tell us about menstrual cycles, right? Like you don't see that kind of reasoning. And I think it just shows that it was never about the biological complexity or, or difficulties with using women. It was never about that. It was just about excluding women and the erasure of women independently. sort of talk us through an example of how, for example, not having women in medical trials as much as men, how is it actually impacting women's health? Well, sure. I mean, there's so many examples of disparate impacts on men and women, from sleep drugs and cancer drugs to aspirin for heart attacks and Alzheimer's diagnoses, sleep apnea. ADHD presents differently in girls and boys, leading to boys being diagnosed at three times the rate of girls without necessarily a difference in prevalence of the condition across genders. One example is cardiovascular disease. Some studies show that thousands of women die 
due to gender disparities and heart attacks. It looks like women are dying at twice the rate of men after heart attacks. And one 2018 study found that more than 8,000 more women in the UK died over a 10-year period that wouldn't have if they had received the same care as men. So they're less likely to have diagnostic procedures than men. Sometimes their symptoms are different. Only one in eight women having a heart attack report chest pain. Less likely to have life-saving drugs like beta blockers prescribed than men. Doctors are less likely to follow the standard of care in women than men. And so these gaps are really widespread. If the research uses the male model and says, here are the symptoms and here's the treatment, and it works in men, but it doesn't work in women, then when you go from research to medicine and you try and use the same treatments that worked on men in women, you can sometimes miss a diagnosis because we don't have enough information or the symptoms look different. You can sometimes mistreat because the treatment doesn't have the same impact across populations. So without that foundational research, the medicine looks flawed. And when the medicine is flawed, we don't have the research because we don't notice the problems. You know, conditions that primarily affect women, like osteoporosis and autoimmune disorders, endometriosis, we know less about those diseases than we do about diseases that primarily impact men or are thought to primarily impact men. Talk me through all the different ways that you you think this is having an effect. There are gaps in knowledge of women's health because we are seeing the lack of research and the lack of funding and the lack of time and energy put into issues. One example that I could point to is that sometimes, you know, women are left out of research studies at disproportionate rates. When they are included, sometimes their inclusion is not proportional to the impact of the disease. When they are included in proportion, sometimes the results are not broken down by sex. So women are present, but we still don't know the differential impact. And the NIH in the United States enacted a policy in 2016 that requires breaking down the research results by sex. And so did the British Journal of Pharmacology and other institutions. But it's still occurring at high rates. When women are included and results are broken down by sex, we still see disparities in the conclusions. So, for example, if a higher rate of side effects is tolerated when it impacts women than men, then we can see bias even in the interpretation of results. And is that happening? Yes, I think in uh, 2016 there was a big uproar when hormonal birth control option for men was stopped after study participants experienced symptoms that sounded a lot like the symptoms that women experience from hormonal birth control. And so, I mean, what what are the symptoms that they're experiencing? Headaches and mood swings, weight gain, and sometimes depression. Which women also get from, from the pill. Yes, exactly. They just halted the trials because of that? Yes, they halted the trials because of that. You know, men were dropping out. They couldn't continue. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So you can see that even when, you know, you mandate the inclusion of women and you mandate the the research on gender disparities, you can still see bias in the interpretation of the results. There can still be this continued stereotyping and disproportional impact, even at that, that late stage. And then from getting it to from the standard of care, from getting to the standard of care to the treatment of the patient, you also see these huge obstacles where doctors are less likely to follow 
what evidence-based practices say when there are female patients involved. But how much evidence are you seeing there of sexism? You know, you mentioned earlier that osteoporosis, for example, is a disease that sort of tends to inflict women far more. It, is, is there as much money for research into, into those illnesses as there is for, for the ones that affect men too? Well, you know, there's constant calls for more funding for research for these conditions. And there are very clear policies put out by government organizations. But yes, there's still a problem with funding and effort put into these diseases, the ones that primarily impact women. And we just know less about them than we do about diseases affecting primarily male populations. So even if from now on, we do everything perfectly, we're going to be impacted by this, you know, the decades that have gone before in which the information has been incomplete. So, you know, even as it gets better, and it is getting better, there, you know, the situation with research now for women is much better today than it was 10 years ago. I mean, talk me through an example of that. Well, I mentioned aspirin for heart attacks, It was widely recommended across the board and then based on studies that were primarily done on men. And then it turned out that aspirin was much less effective in women at preventing heart attacks than it was in men within certain age ranges and risk categories. Yeah. And so the recommendations ended up harming some women. You know, to me, like sex and, and gender is never the end of the story. Because sex can refer to a constellation of different features, any one of which could play a causal role. You know, why did the cancer drug work better in women? Why is aspirin less effective in women? Is it metabolism? Is it hormones? Is it genes on the X chromosome impacting immune responses? Is it size and therefore just a dosing issue? If so, then it's not about sex or gender at all, just about height and weight. There can be social and environmental conditions. So, You know, we still have to ask those questions about why there is this differential impact or why the result look different in some populations than others. It's not enough to just say, oh, it was different in women than men. There still needs to be a causal explanation. And that causal explanation can have impacts on our recommendations for different populations, trans populations, non-binary populations, women with certain conditions like PCOS and endometriosis. So we still need to follow up on those questions and, and dig deeper. And that information is still lacking. We'll hear more from Professor Jill Dalston in just a moment. We'll also hear from one woman who believes her prolonged wait for diagnosis for a debilitating condition was partly due to sexism in medicine. But first, a quick message. Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If sexism in medicine has distorted healthcare, it's most evident in the treatment of endometriosis. It's a condition that affects one in 10 women in the UK, leading to debilitating pain, heavy periods, and even infertility. Yet, despite how common it is and the anxiety it causes, half of the women who suffer from it say it led to suicidal thoughts, it still currently takes, on average, eight years to diagnose. Activists are now calling for legislation to address what they see as medical bias. I mean, it takes seven to eight years for women to be diagnosed with endometriosis, even though endometriosis affects one in 10 women in the UK. Can you sort of explain what what that means, what the condition is? Endometriosis is um, a condition, a very painful condition, in which areas of or, or, or cells of the uterine wall are found outside the uterus. And so it can be treated, but it's very painful. And one of the reasons why we think women spend more time in the emergency room, the emergency department, when they experience pain or longer time waiting to get an accurate diagnosis is because of what you said, that women are not necessarily being believed. And to go back to what you said earlier, that the Me Too movement hasn't made its way through medical sexism. I mean, believe women, which was used in the Me Too movement, we could put here, believe patients, right? Or just listen to patients, even. I'm Hope Doherty. I'm an English Lit and History student at Cardiff University, and I've only been diagnosed with endometriosis this year. Hope runs a page on Instagram sharing her experiences of endometriosis and trying to raise awareness of the condition. I have a part-time job alongside my university, but when my period's coming, I have to take holidays. I've worked throughout my academic career, but obviously periods aren't meant to make you bed-bound. I I can't express. The first three days of my period, I cannot move from bed. It's debilitating. God, I mean, that sounds awful. And that's happening every month. I phoned an ambulance for myself the previous month. It's a kind of dragging pain. It feels, I can imagine if I was being stabbed, it would it would be that comparison. And, I mean, in as much detail as you'd like to give, I mean, what is it like when, when you do 
you know, how much does it stop you living normally? Yes, there's... I was taking hormonal birth control for a while, but that it was affecting day-to-day life. Medical professionals just pushed the birth control method, which obviously doesn't work for everyone. I can't believe I normalised my pain for so many years. I just... It's ridiculous to looking back, because my teenage years, throughout my GCSEs, I'd be falling asleep in lessons, etc., and I had no idea why. It's more day-to-day, it's the chronic fatigue that gets me the most. Do you think that sexism plays a role in any of this? 100% I can say it wasn't as bad at 15 when I was being ignored than it is now at nearly 21. I think those assigned female at birth go through so much pain throughout their lives but maybe we have normalised it for ourselves though. As a society we've normalised pain. Women of minorities experience it so much worse than I do. I've been reading reports recently about black women in giving birth whose pain is completely ignored. According to a study published by Oxford University's Nuffield Department of Population Health in 2020, it was reported that black women are four times more likely to die during pregnancy compared to white women in the UK. Asian women are twice as likely. I know more about my illness than any medical professional has ever stated to me, ever. Even my gynaecologist didn't explain some of my symptoms to me in a way that researching myself. I have experienced an older male doctor. I, I phoned them and I actually cried. It was it's, it was during COVID times and I was saying, I really want to come off my hormonal birth control. It's, it's not working. Nothing seems to be working. And he simply stated, well, what do you want us to do? Quote, I said a quick goodbye and hung up. They don't know enough, and that was obviously an older male doctor. But they'll never experience this pain, and I hope one of, if they have a daughter, they never experience this pain. Have you spoken to doctors about it and about why there's still so little recognition? I spoke to my gynaecologist about it briefly. I've only had one visit with him and that was after waiting for about a year. I always try to say to people who are trying to reach a diagnosis, I wrote down all of my symptoms and kind of kept a book, like a diary entry book, so they couldn't um, dismiss me through speech. I went to my gynaecologist appointment at Cardiff Hospital and I was half expecting to get dismissed again. I went into it not feeling positive. But my gynaecologist sat me down and said, you have all the symptoms of endometriosis. I don't know how you haven't been diagnosed before. And I kind of said, well, (laughs) why are you asking me that question? Why do so many women have to wait so long to get a diagnosis? Here's Professor Jill Dalston again. I think that sometimes medical providers will assert that the symptoms that are being reported are just in in your head or that they won't believe the patients about the severity of what they're describing. They won't believe them about the frequency about of the symptoms that they're describing. And so if you don't believe the symptoms, then it's going to be so difficult to diagnose the condition. But again, it's also connected to the research where if we don't know enough about the symptoms of a condition that affects both men and women, if we don't know enough about the symptoms as they are found in women, then diagnosis will be impossible. So that women are sent home during a heart attack at high rates, in part because doctors just don't know or are not educated on the prevalence of heart disease in women, 
and how likely it is to be a heart attack, as well as, yeah, women reporting their different symptoms than the, the Hollywood heart attack or the traditional male heart attack. I mean, is that something that happens? Do women experience different symptoms to men when they're, when they're on, you know, undergoing the same event in their, in their body, like a heart attack? Yes, I think that's exactly right. You know, for, for women in a heart attack, they rarely experience chest pain, but they often experience upper back pain. Or another example would be that women during a heart attack experience much more like an extreme fatigue, but they don't keel over and, and clutch their chest like you, you, know, you imagine happens in, in the movies. So again, if doctors don't know that or they're not educated on the differences or we're not doing research that includes women to the same rate as men, then of course those symptoms will be overlooked or we won't make the connection between that symptom and the condition that they're experiencing. I mean, there's also something about public health messaging. You know, we've all seen so many ads and posters and warnings about heart attacks, and if you feel a chest pain, you've got to go straight to hospital. Mm. Nobody ever tells you that that might be different if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, until you've said that, until you said that now, <laughs> I, th- I think I could have had a, had a heart attack and not realized. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly, and I think that that's. That's really scary. It's one of the reasons why medical sexism kills and why it leads to these very grave, very severe results is that these very serious conditions are, are not being discovered in, when they occur in women and that that can have these huge impacts. You know, Alzheimer's is another example where women just do better on these cognitive tests than men do at the same stage of progression in the disease. And so they're diagnosed later with the same condition than men. And so there you see, again, that the impact of of research or the lack of research can mean that the diagnosis isn't as forthcoming in certain populations as others. And that's a problem. What surprised you the most when you were looking at the disparities between men and women in medicine? At first, I thought it was my book was just going to be about contraception access, and then I thought, okay, well, I have to include abortion and reproductive care and labor and delivery and pregnancy and breastfeeding, but I'll stop there. But then it turned out I couldn't stop there. I had to include the broader implications of healthcare in, in areas that affect both men and women, like cardiovascular disease or even organ transplants, which men have more access to than women. Or, Tell us about that. What, why, why is there a disparity there? One problem is that women just spend longer on waiting lists for organ transplants than men. Men are more likely to have comorbidities and be older at the time of an organ transplant than are women. And women are more likely to be the donors, while men are more likely to be the recipients of, an, of a living organ transplant. Really? Yeah. So it looks like it's, you know, that's not just the medical field. That's a broader issue, right? about women stepping up and volunteering to, to make that life-saving sacrifice. But why are men benefiting more if women are, are giving more of their organs? Right, and I think that that's the question to be asking. You know, why are men more likely to be the recipient and less likely to volunteer themselves for that kind of life-saving procedure? Why are women more likely to be volunteering themselves? And I think it just has to do with societal expectations of women 
to 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 be self-sacrificing to to you know protect their family at even when it requires a great deal of um, sacrifice on their part again not just the medical field but it's also we see these impacts in the medical field as well where the post-transplantation care is different for women and men where women are not recommended for organ transplants at the same rate as men are recommended to have the same procedure. And that's really down to the doctor making the call. Exactly. And so it, it looks like everywhere you look, you see the impacts and the, the effects of medical sexism so that you can't leave it out. And, and I think that in order to understand what's going on and to address the issue, you have to see them as connected. If we just tried to solve these problems in, in the silos and just tried to solve you know, cardiovascular disease and, and fix that problem, or just tried to solve contraception access and fix that problem, and we don't see it as connected to all these other issues, then the next time medical sexism crops up, we won't recognize it as such. We'll just say, oh, that's a completely different problem. So part of the solution to these systemic problems has to be a systemic approach where we view them as all connected. We see the commonalities between the different cases. We see that women are you know, systemically and disproportionately impacted differently than men. And we try, we try to address it holistically in that way. What do you think needs to change and you know how do you change an entire culture anyway but what do you think (laughs) needs to happen to try to to try to make a difference i think we need to absolutely try and change the entire culture that we have to oppose sexism wherever it's found and oppose these hierarchies these unjust hierarchies and if we are not conscious of them and aware of them and pointing them out where we see them then we'll continue to see these hierarchies. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Professor Jill Dalston from the University of Missouri, St. Louis, who's the author of Medical Sexism, Contraception Access, Reproductive Medicine and Healthcare, and Hope Doherty, who suffers from endometriosis. The producer today was Sevda Moyasari. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Andrew Smiley. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.